listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. The famous explorer, Rear Admiral Robert Peary, who is credited as being the first person to ever reach the North Pole, was on one of his many polar expeditions and was one time headed north with one of his uh, dog teams. At the end of the day, when he had stopped to take a bearing of his latitude, he was kind of perplexed to discover that he was actually further south than he had been at the beginning of the day. And this mystery was eventually solved when he found out that he had been traveling on a gigantic ice floe. And ocean currents were pulling the ice flow south faster than the dog's team was running north. In other words, he was running, he was going in the right direction, but he was getting further and further away from his goal. I think sometimes the modern church is in that same situation. We can be moving in so many different directions, trying so many different programs, attempting many tasks, but all the time getting further and further away from the goal that our founder, the Lord Jesus Christ, had for it from the beginning. The one thing that clearly motivated the Lord Jesus more than anything was the harvesting of souls, bringing people to repentance and to faith in God, so much so that in Matthew chapter nine, verse 38, he calls himself the Lord of the harvest. So for the next couple of weeks, I wanna really kinda dig in. We're in the harvesting season uh, here in the farm cycle, and so I thought it'd be a great time to kinda just step back and look at this title that Jesus refers to himself as the Lord of the harvest, because it was the harvest of souls that stirred him to really leave the eternal realms of heaven and come to a world full of darkness and sin and lost people. And Jesus said in Luke 19, 10, he said, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The harvestings of of souls, again, the leading of people to faith in God through Jesus Christ, it's also one of the reasons the church was founded. It's one of the reasons why we're here. Jesus said in John 20, verse 21, he said, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Jesus Christ, he is still the Lord of the harvest, and he is still calling for laborers to join him in proclaiming the gospel message to the reaping of souls for the glory of God. And so this morning, I want to show you how the Lord Jesus viewed people as a harvest to be gathered. First, the ministry Jesus shared with people. Matthew 9, verses 35 says, And Jesus went about all of the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and disease among the people. I want you to see how the Savior of the world also became the servant of the world. God's Son willingly chose to become man's servant. And while Jesus walked upon the earth, he literally and he just continuously poured out his life in ministering to others and their needs. It's interesting, Matthew said that Jesus went about all of the cities and villages 
The Jewish historian Josephus tells us at this time there were over 200 cities and villages in the region of Galilee alone which was an area about 40 miles wide and 70 miles long. And because the land was so fertile, it, it was a booming area for farmers, which made up uh, the number one occupation of that day. Josephus estimated that the smallest villages and cities contained at least 15,000 people. So based on that assessment, Galilee probably contained at that time in Jesus' day at least 3 million people. And Jesus went about village to village, city to city, trying to minister to as many of them as he could. Now, obviously, he couldn't get to everybody, but he was willing to get to anybody, whether they were a somebody or a nobody, if they needed ministry. We also see from Matthew that Jesus has kind of this threefold ministry, preaching, teaching, and healing and when you really kind of step back and think about it, that pretty much sums up the ministry of the church. Now, teaching is to the soul. Preaching is ministering to the spirit. And healing is kind of ministering to the body. To put it another way, teaching ministers. It speaks to the mind. Teaching or preaching ministers. It, it speaks to the heart. And healing ministers to. It speaks to the flesh. You can also think of it in this way. Jesus had an intellectual ministry through his teaching, a spiritual ministry through his preaching, and a physical ministry through his healing. And he continues to do the same through us. There's a place in the church for each one of these ministries because they all meet a very special and a unique need of every human being. Again, teaching, oftentimes it will speak to man's shallowness. Preaching will speak to man's sinfulness. Healing responds again to man's sickness and disease. And all three of these are critical to the foundation of a healthy church. And every believer, every one of you in this room, has a vital role to play in the functioning of these three ministries. Now, you may not be directly involved in the teaching, preaching roles, but man, there are many, many ways that you can support those who are, those who are called to that task. For example, as we talked about here and seen this morning, every time you give a tithe and an offering, it goes towards the keeping this church building open, usable for worship. It makes our ministries viable for preaching, for children's ministry, and for fellowship. But the point I want you to remember is this. Jesus was doing all he could for God and all that he could for others. Never held back. Jesus didn't wait for people to come to the church. Oftentimes, Jesus took the church to the people. And so it's not an either or. It's really a both and. And we need to understand that we come to church to worship it's when we leave the church that we're called to witness and to work, especially if we want to reach the lost and the unchurched. A Gallup survey recently discovered only 10% of American church members are involved in any kind of personal ministry. And that 50% of all church, churches have members who have no interest in serving in any ministry. Let me just say this again. Because this ought to be convicting to some of you here this morning. 10% of American church members are active in any kind of church personal ministry. 
and that 50% of all church members or people who are attending church maybe on a regular basis have no interest in serving in any kind of ministry. If that's you this morning, I'm not sure why you're here. I'm not sure what you're doing. I'm not sure what you're waiting for. Because that's really sad to me. I think one of the mistakes a lot of Christians make when it comes to church, and that is, what can the church do for me? What does the church have to offer me? How can the church benefit me, or, or maybe my business, when it really needs to be the other way around? What gifts, what abilities, God, have you given me to be a servant to others? God, how, how can you use me? God, what can you do through me to help others? Can I tell you the one, number one need of any church, I don't care what the church is, where it is, how big or small it is, the number one need of any church is we need to turn every member, every regular attender into a servant. Take him from a saint and turn him into a servant. If your salvation has not motivated you for serving others, Man, I'm here to tell you, you have every right and responsibility to question the seriousness of your faith. Jesus came, the Son of God came to serve others, to offer his life as a ransom to others. How, as his disciples, his servants, can we offer any less? I remember growing up and going to what we called full-service gas stations. I know I'm aging myself here when I say that, aging some of you that remember those as well, right? You pulled up in your car, your tires rolled over the hose that signaled the bell inside, and out comes the smiling attendant. You rolled down your window, you told him to fill her up, and as the gas was being pumped, you popped the hood on your car. He checked the oil, the windshield fluid. He would clean the windshield, check your tire pressure. Then when the tank was full, he'd take your money, run inside to make change if necessary, and the the whole time you just sat there listening to the radio. You never had to leave your car. Several decades ago, we transitioned from full service to self-service to do it yourself. And sadly, I think that mentality has really kind of crept into and infiltrated the church. I was at Walmart the other day, and it struck me. I can go into most stores now and bypass any kind of personal interaction or service. I go in, find what I'm looking for, then I go to the self-checkout, I pay, I bag my own stuff, I carry it out myself, and I don't have to interact with one single person. And oftentimes, I wonder, is that our mentality when we come to church? I'm going to come in the door. I'm going to get upstairs into the worship service. I'm going to first stop and get my cup of coffee that somebody else made for me. And I'm going to get up here, and I'm going to put my time in. And when it's done, I'm out the door. And we don't have any interactions with people. That's not what Jesus was about. 
It's not what the church should be about. This isn't what Jesus came to, to, to find or to found. He was all about with connecting with people and people connecting with him. He was all about serving and meeting people's needs. And we can never, ever lose sight of that as a church. And because it was so important to Jesus, it must be important to us. Now, I just want to encourage you this morning. If you've been attending church for any length of time, whether it's this church or another church, and you're not doing anything, and I mean, it can be as simple as passing out bulletins, greeting downstairs, cleaning. And there's just a million things that happen here um, in between Sunday morning to Sunday morning. And there are a lot of people that fill a lot of various roles here, and we're so thankful for that. But if you're not doing anything, beyond attending services once a week, I would encourage you this morning, would you please challenge yourself to go beyond that and ask God this question, God, what can I do to be more of a servant? What can I do to serve and to meet the needs of others? And if you're too afraid to ask God, ask me, Ask one of the other pastors, ask one of the staffs or other volunteers. We would love to get you more involved because I think you're missing some of the reasons and the purposes and the plans that God has for your life. You're waiting for something huge and something big and, and it's there. But we oftentimes just miss God in the small and the little ways that he wants to use us to be a blessing to other people. The second way Jesus viewed people as a harvest to be gathered, the misery Jesus saw in people. Verse 36 says this, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved for, with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep who had no shepherd. Jesus saw people the way they really were. He could look past their faces and he could see their fears. He could look past their hearts and he could see their hurts. Henry David Thoreau once said, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. I think he's right. And Jesus understood this as well. Oftentimes in the scriptures, when the multitudes would look, or, or the Pharisees would look at the crowds and the multitudes, they just simply saw a group of people, and oftentimes they ended up despising them. But when Jesus looked at a multitude, what he saw was a scattered flock of sheep, and he was moved with compassion for them. Jesus saw how the sheep were lost and hurting. He saw how miserable the people were. He also saw how weary they were. That word weary in the Greek language, it literally means to flay or to skin. In other words, it means to be harassed, troubled, battered, bruised, mangled, ripped apart, worn out, stressed out, and exhausted. Jesus saw that. The scripture says and he was moved with compassion to do something about it. I've learned if you talk to anybody long enough, you'll find everybody 
has heartaches. Everybody has experienced hurt and disappointments. And Jesus saw how the sheep was, were helpless. They were scattered, the scripture says. And that word literally means cast down, to be prostrate, unable to get up because of a mortal wound. Did you know if a sheep ever falls on its back, it'll starve to death because it can't roll over, it can't right itself, it can't get up? And the job of the shepherd was to go and to lift up a sheep that was cast down and to kind of get it back on to their feet. And this world is full of people, not just old ones who have fallen down and can't get up. Jesus saw how the sheep were hopeless. They were like sheep having no shepherd. It can be said without apology that a person without God is not only lost, but he is hopelessly lost. Someone has described a lost person as a blind man in a dark room looking for a black cat that is not there. You may not know this, but one of the dumbest animals in all the world is a sheep. Because again, if a sheep gets lost, they cannot find their way home. If they ever get scattered, only a shepherd can go retrieve them and bring them back. And almost 3,000 years ago, the prophet Isaiah made this astute observation in Isaiah 53, 6. He said, all we, and he's talking to us, he's talking to humanity, all we like sheep have gone astray. And when Jesus saw those hurting and those helpless and hopeless sheep lost, Walking, wounded. The Bible says he was moved with compassion. That word compassion would be better understood as co-passion. Where two or more share the same passion towards someone or something. Jesus was moved with compassion because his passion to see people whole and well was shared by his heavenly father's passion to see people whole and well. Making Jesus co-passionate with the father. We can display co-passion when our passion to see people whole and well is shared and linked to Jesus' passion to see people whole and well. And when we join him in that, we become co-passionate. I believe there are times when our prayers for healing go unanswered because we lack compassion. We lack compassion we're not moved with compassion for people the way Jesus was. We're maybe in it for our own self-glorification. There are times where we completely miss very clear distress signals given off by people simply because we're too busy or we're just indifferent. Several years ago, a very unusual parking ticket was given in South Central Los Angeles. At 9.45 a.m., an officer wrote up a ticket for a Cadillac that was illegally parked. Now, there was no question that the car was in violation. The driver, the car deserved it. The driver gave no indication that he objected to the ticket. In fact, the driver sat there and did not say one word. And the reason he didn't say anything was because he was dead. It's a true story. Officer had taken time to observe the parking violation, wrote the ticket, then he stuck his hand through the open window within inches of the body that was sitting stiffly upright behind the steering wheel and placed the $30 citation on the dashboard. 
Officer never even noticed that the man was dead. Paramedics later said the man had been dead for at least 12 hours when the ticket was given. How often do we do that with the living? I just want to encourage you this morning, no matter how indifferent or uncaring people may come across to you, God loves you enormously. And Jesus cares for you. He cares for your needs deeply. Maybe you're here this morning and you're miserable, you're weary, you're worn down. And I just want you to know that the heart of the Father and the heart of Jesus is joined together and is moved with compassion, co-passion on your behalf. You, you may be miserable physically, you may be miserable financially, you may be miserable relationally. I just want you to know that Jesus sees what you're going through and he cares for and his desire is to see you whole, well, blessed, and set free. I've shared this story before, but again, it's just such a great example of what I'm talking about. I remember, I don't remember how old I was. I was pretty young. I think it was probably in, in early, very early elementary uh, grade. I had had one of uh, many surgeries on my left ear. It was a mastoidectomy where they had to remove part or uh, the entire mastoid. And it was a very, very uh, serious surgery. And I just remember following uh, the surgery for days. Whenever I would try to open my eyes or I would just try to sit up, uh, even just slightly, the room would just begin uh, to spin. You know, there were just, for days this happened. If I tried to eat anything, uh, I, it just came back up. And, and this just went on for days. I had this huge bandage around my head. And all I can remember uh, from that is just how miserable I was lying there in that bed wondering, am I ever going to get better. At some point throughout this ordeal, as I'm lying there, this thought came to me. I bet Jesus could heal me. Again, I was pretty young, again, early elementary, maybe first or second grade. We regularly attended a Lutheran church, but I don't ever recall hearing uh, about Jesus healing people. I'd never heard anybody ever share a testimony about how God had healed them. So other than the Holy Spirit, I really don't have any idea where this thought came to me, but it did. And I remember lying there in that hospital bed, and I just said, Jesus, will you heal me? I know you can. And folks, instantly, I opened my eyes, and I sat up in bed, and the room stopped spinning. I remember it so well because I was so hungry. I remember when the nurses came in and saw that I was sitting up. My eyes were open. They were elated. They said, is there anything you need? I said, I'm hungry. Can I have something to eat? And they said, absolutely. You tell us what you want and I'll get it. To this day, I remember that meal. It was one of the best meals I ever had. Ham, cottage cheese and potato chips. And it took, me, it took me several hours to eat that because they cautioned me if I ate it too fast, might not be able to keep it down. So I just remember savoring that moment and that meal. I share that story again with you, not because there is anything special or extraordinary about me, but I want you to know there is something special and extraordinary about Jesus. 
Listen to how the prophet Isaiah described the coming Messiah in Isaiah 42, 3. Now, Jesus hasn't yet come, and so Isaiah's kind of preparing the hearts of God's people that one day a Messiah is going to come, and this is one of the ways you're going to recognize him. He said, a bruised reed he will not break, a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. Now, in those, those days, all along the riverbanks in Israel, reeds would kind of grow in abundance. The children would often take the reed and they would begin to kind of carefully hollow one out so that they could use it for a musical instrument. However, if the, if the reed was bruised in the making, it was no longer any good and the children would kind of just break it and discard it because, you know, after all, there were plenty more where that one came from. Isaiah said, Jesus, however would not discard or throw away those who had been broken or bruised in the making of life. Likewise, homes throughout Israel, they were lit by oil lamps and they would use wicks. Now, if you weren't careful and the uh, lamp would run out of oil, the wick would kind of burn up and it would just create this horrible stench in the house. Embarrassed, the homeowner would just simply throw out the wick and grab another one because they sold them by the boxfuls. Isaiah says that when Messiah comes, which was Jesus, he would not discard, he would not throw away those who had been burned by life. Jesus cares for the burned, he cares for the bruised, he cares for the broken, he's compassionate towards those. You matter to him, whether you're a Christian or not, he sees your misery, and he is moved with compassion to bind up our wounds, to heal the brokenhearted, and to set the captive free. The third way Jesus viewed people as a harvest to be gathered was the ministers Jesus sought for a people. And I'm going to pick this up on Wednesday because our Wednesday night services are really designed uh, because I, I talk so much um, that the, we've designed the Wednesday nights just to kind of be where we can pick up. So I was just going to share that uh, last um, blank spot for you type A's so you could walk out of here with your uh, outline completely filled out. So... But well, we're going to pick it up here uh, on Wednesday. What I want to do this morning is we invite the worship team back on uh, here this morning. There may be some of you here this morning that you are miserable. And it may, again, it may be physically, it may be emotionally, it may be spiritually, it may be financially, it may be relationally. You are miserable. I just want you to know that, again, a bruised reed, he is not going to break a dimly burning wick. Maybe you're here this morning and you just feel like right now what you're going through, you just feel like it is extinguishing, it is attempting to extinguish your faith. And I want you to know this morning that the, that the Father is not here to just discard those of you who are maybe just kind of dimly burning this morning. You're, you're trying to hold on, you're trying to hang on but life is kind of coming at you in such a way right now where you're feeling kind of crushed and you're feeling oppressed. And I want you to know this morning that Jesus' heart, the Father's heart, they're joined together. They are moving in co-passion towards you. He is compassionate towards you this morning. He is not disappointed. He is not frustrated by what you're going through. Rather, he has a plan. He has a purpose. And sometimes it's just coming and acknowledging, I have nowhere else to turn 
but to you. Again, like, like me lying in that hospital bed. It's just knowing that he can do something about it and then just acknowledging that this morning. So wherever you may be this morning, if you're here this morning and you're miserable, we, we want to pray for you this morning. We, we want to we wanna bless you this morning. We want to we wanna be moved with compassion. We want to join the heart of the Father and the heart of Jesus this morning. And we want to be moved with compassion towards you this morning. So as we kind of just end our time in worship again, communion is available up here this morning. There's no greater demonstration of God's love than his broken body and his shed blood. So this morning as we just close in worship, whether you want to come up for communion and or prayer, there'll be people up here this morning that would love to pray with you, people that will be moved with compassion for where you're at and for what you're going through this morning. Father, we just thank you so much for your presence here this morning. Thank you, Father, for your passion. Thank you, Jesus, for your passion. And Father, we thank you for your heart, for the heart of Jesus being co-passionate toward us. We thank you, Father, that you love us, you care for us, your plans, your ways are perfect for us. We just acknowledge that. We come before you this morning, and Father, I pray for those who maybe are burdened and burned out, wounded and broken this morning. Maybe those who are just great disappointment, people maybe who are trapped in anger and bitterness, maybe shame and guilt and condemnation, whatever that may be, that God, you have a plan to bring us out of that, to make us victorious over that this morning. So we just come and we ask God that we would just see your heart toward us, that your heart would be revealed that your heart would be poured out over us this morning. We just thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are here with us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that abides in us. We can thank you, Lord, for that broken body, the shed blood, which is a demonstration of your great love and your great compassion toward us. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.